Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. How are baby boomers building a better tomorrow? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Around the world, young people are on the front lines of the fight to protect our planet from climate change. And for good reason, they'll bear the brunt of destruction. But environmentalist and writer Bill McKibben argues that people over the age of 60, or what he likes to call experienced adults, they also play a vital role in saving our planet. McKibben has been called America's foremost environmentalist. His 1989 book, The End of Nature, is often called the first book on climate change for a general audience. He's also the co-founder of 350.org, which has been called the first global grassroots climate campaign. More recently, McKibben co-founded a group called Third Act. That's bringing baby boomers together to pressure banks to divest from fossil fuels. Bill, you've been working in and writing about the environmental movement for decades, often focused on climate solutions. So why do you believe that people north of 60 have to be part of that solution? (laughs) Well, you know, I have been organizing for a long time, and usually with young people. Young people have been providing amazing leadership. Uh, You know, I started 350.org with seven college kids, and then there was this huge divestment campaign on all the universities and the Sunrise Movement that brought us the Green New Deal and Greta Thunberg. It's all terrific, but I've heard a few too many people my age say, oh, it's up to the next generation to solve these problems. That seemed ignoble since they didn't get us into this mess. It also seems impractical because young people, for all their energy, intelligence, and idealism, lack the structural power necessary to make changes on the scale we need in the time that we still have. So we started Third Act in the hopes of backing them up with some older people. There are 70 million of us over the age of 60 in this country. Mm -hmm. That's a population larger than France. Multiply it by some factor because we all vote. There is no known way to stop old people from voting. And we also ended up with most of the money, fairly or not. Boomers and the silent generation have about 70% of the country's financial resources. So if you want to take on Washington or Wall Street, it's probably useful to have a few people with hairlines like mine engaged in this fight. (laughs) Well, you know, there are so many pieces to to climate change. Do you consider stopping fossil fuels to be the biggest priority? Yeah. Fossil fuel accounts for about 80% of the emissions that are driving the rapid warming of the planet. And they're the, that's, so that's the place that has to change most and fastest if we're going to have a chance. And it's also the place now where the change in certain ways should be easiest. In the last 10 years, engineers have really done their job. They've dropped the price of solar power and wind power so fast, so hard, that we live on a planet where the cheapest way of making energy is to point a sheet of glass at the sun. That's a big change, Mm -hmm. and it means that if we wanted to make quick change, we really could. Uh, The thing that's slowing us down remains some combination of inertia, but also vested interest. The fossil fuel industry just won't get out of the way. 
they're determined to hold on to their business model, even at the cost of breaking the planet. Mm. Early estimates from Bloomberg and the International Energy Agency, they show that in 2022, global spending on oil and gas production and on renewable energy and the transition to renewable energy both equaled a trillion dollars. What do you make of that, Bill? Well, it's the good news that we're spending some money finally on clean energy, and it's bad news that we're continuing to pour money into expanding fossil fuels. Every climate scientist has made it completely clear that this has got to stop, and not just the climate scientists. <laughs> the International Energy Agency, set up by Henry Kissinger in the 1970s as a club of the oil-consuming nations, said in 2021 that if we have any chance, even of meeting the pretty modest targets that we set in Paris six or seven years ago uh, at the climate talks, that we that new investment in infrastructure had to stop in 2021. But the big U.S. banks, Chase, City, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, continue to just pour, literally pour fuel on this fire. They've lent the fossil fuel industry trillions of dollars for their expansion. They didn't need Donald Trump to sabotage the Paris climate accords. They were willing to do it themselves, mm-hmm. which is why we're standing up to them um, next later this month on this big national day of action on March 21st. Help us understand your group Third Act is focusing on the financial sector rather than lobbying politicians to pass climate legislation. Why? Well, that's what we're doing now because the the politicians actually for the first time did their job last year and passed this Inflation Reduction Act, which is a climate bill and the first time that Congress has really allocated serious money to this project. I don't think we're going to get anything else out of Washington for a little while. Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene seem unlikely to me to be making any further advances here. Mm-hmm. So we have to go after the other power center, which are the big the financial industry, and especially the big banks. The four big American banks are the four biggest lenders on earth to the fossil fuel industry. So this is a place where people have you know, real power. Look, yeah. Chase is the biggest of them all, and <laughs> that big tower down in the loop, that's where they headquarter their uh, retail banking operations. So right. I'm, glad that there'll be lots of people from Third Act and other groups out there on March 21st, one of 90 or so demonstrations across the country. I'm going to be in Washington, D.C., where we're going to be blockading the banks with uh, people, 50 50 of us in rocking chairs, uh, because we're old, uh, blocking the entrances (laughs) to the banks. Um, um, We're going to cause as much trouble as we can. So you're talking there about breaking up with with these big banks, as you named Chase and Bank of America and City and so forth. So where should folks invest then, if not with the big banks? Well, so two things. One, you can usually find plenty of other places. Your local credit unions, um, local banks generally aren't part of that fossil fuel enterprise. And there are big web banks now that aren't as well. So you can look, if you go to thirdact.org, you'll see, among other things, a list of resources with other places. But the real point here is less to purify your own life and more to put pressure on these big banks to change. What we really want is for Chase, say, to do what HSBC, the biggest European bank, did in December, 
and say, we will not no longer lend money for new oil and gas fields. Sorry, boys. And uh, that was a big deal. It was the first of the club of the big players to get out of the business. Um, we're not talking about Chase or City or Wells Fargo or Bank of America ending their relationship with fossil fuel companies. We're going to depend on oil and gas to some degree for the next few years, and they'll need banks. Yeah. All we want is for them to stop funding the expansion of this industry, because if you have, you know, if you're putting in a new pipeline now, it's going to be there for 40 years. There's not a scientist in the world who thinks it's okay to be putting in 40 years worth of fossil fuel yeah. infrastructure at this point in human history. And and so we're clear, if banks did stop investing in fossil fuels, what would happen? Well, if they stopped investing in fossil fuel expansion, uh, the big oil companies would look for other sources of revenue. They'd pay more money to get money, and that would slow them down some. And it would send a powerful signal to the rest of the financial community that this transition is speeding up. And that's the transition that we desperately, desperately need. Um, it's not impossible. As I said before, um, you know, <laughs> Europe is now moving rapidly, rapidly towards sun and wind, especially with the spur of the war in Ukraine. But we've got to be doing the same thing here, not incrementally, not in piecemeal fashion, but at the speed that physics requires. You've talked a moment ago about, you know, realizing that the movement needs to focus on building power, right? So in your view, where does power still need to be built? Well, I mean, movements, movements are the key here. You know, history teaches us that, that left to their own devices, money and power, the status quo, will just keep on doing what they're doing unless there are big movements of people that challenge them. The two great inventions of the 20th century, for my money, are going to turn out to be the solar panel and the nonviolent social movement. It's almost a technology, one invented by people like Gandhi and King and the suffragists and others. And it's a way for the small and the many to stand up to the mighty and the few. Now, you don't win every time and you don't win easily. These four banks they're the capital in capitalism, <laughs> so it's not going to be an easy fight, mm -hmm. um, but not an impossible one either. We've convinced, you know, endowments and portfolios worth $40 trillion to sell their stock in oil and gas companies over the last decade, so we can make real inroads here. Bill, there are and there have been many stories and falsehoods about the facts of climate change. We know that through storytelling and, and social movements, we imagine a, a different world, then organize people to make those changes happen. You know, so what story do you want us to consider now about the transition to a green economy? So, I, you know, in the biggest sense, there are two stories. One's the story of what happens if we don't do anything. And that story's grim as hell. It really is apocalyptic. Um, and we can see it starting to play out with these massive floods and giant fires and melting ice caps and so on. Yeah, this story is interesting. I mean, it's not utopian. We're not going to stop global warming at this point. But we may be able to slow it down to the point where it doesn't 
uh, make civilizations like the ones we're used to impossible. Indeed, you could argue that in that world that we build past fossil fuel, we've got a better world in a lot of ways. Um, forget climate change for a minute. We now know that about 9 million people a year on this planet die from breathing the combustion byproducts of fossil fuel, those particles that get in your lungs. That's one death in five, mm. and it's concentrated among the poorest and most vulnerable people. We know who gets to live next to highways and near refineries and on and on and on. Right. And, and as long as we depend on fossil fuel, Sasha, we're depending on a resource that only exists in a few places. So the people who live in those places automatically, who control them, end up with more power than they deserve. Hence, the king of Saudi Arabia. Hence, the Koch brothers, our biggest oil and gas barons on this continent, who use their winnings to degrade and deform our democracy. Yeah. Hence, Vladimir Putin, you know, who's financing his uh, uh, rapacious war against civilians in Ukraine with 60% of his export earnings come from oil and gas. Go in your house. Uh, look around your apartment and see if you can find something made in Russia that you might want to boycott. I wager you won't, unless you have, mm -hmm. I don't know, an old bottle of Stoliknaya in the liquor cabinet, I wager you won't find a thing because all they are is a gas station to the rest of the world. Yeah. So uh, if, 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 if we had rain on sun and wind, Vladimir Putin can't block the sun and the wind. The king of Saudi Arabia can't keep the wind from blowing. That's a more small-D democratic world, almost automatically. Yeah. So for the average American, do you think that solar panels or electric vehicles, are they as polarizing as they used to be? They aren't. What changed? Uh, because, well, the technology got better, and people began to realize that all these technologies are better than the ones they have now. And, you know, my house, we have electric heat pump. It's better than the furnace we used to have. Uh, cheaper, quieter, cleaner. We have induction cooktop in our kitchen. You can get one for 60 bucks from Amazon to replace your gas stove, which is a good idea because the new research indicates that 600,000 kids a year in America get asthma because they live in a home with a gas stove. Uh, you know, if you like to drive cars, your first trip in an EV will convince you that it's yeah. better than the car you used to have. It's it's quieter. Uh, uh, it has many fewer moving parts, so you don't need maintenance at the same degree. And if you really like to go fast, well, you know, stick your pedal to the floor and just see how fast that thing leaps. Mm -hmm. um, um, the best of them all probably is the e-bike, which I think is really going to change the way that we move ourselves around in this world. But oh. All these things are possible now. Yeah, climate change and environmental destruction, all of this talk can get very overwhelming, especially when we see what happened in Ohio uh, with the um, train derailment and, and we contemplate the, the long-ranging health effects or we think about the devastating floods in, in Pakistan last year. We know that overwhelm and despair lead to paralysis. So... Tell us, how do we fight despair, Bill? <laughs> well, <laughs> truthfully, there's, part of despair is just reality. So don't fight it completely. Um, it's oh, yeah. good to understand the fix that we're in. But in my experience, 
the best antidote to despair is some kind of constructive action. That's one of the reasons that we organize things like Third Act. And there are, you know, for those of you who haven't yet had the privilege of turning 60, there's lots of great outlets for uh, young people, too. Um, you know, everyone from the Sunrise Movement to the Sierra Club to 350.org to on and on and on. But if you're uh, of a certain age, well, tell your grandparents anyway, because uh, tens of thousands of older people now are joining together to try and, well, to try and make sure that our legacy isn't that we leave behind a world worse than the one we found. We'll leave it there. Bill McKibben is a longtime environmentalist author and founder of Third Act. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sasha. Have a really good day. You too. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic, and it was edited by Stephanie Kim and Michael Liptrot. If you haven't subscribed to the show, please do. We're available on all the podcast apps and platforms, including this one where you're listening right now. A rating or a review is also a big help for us. Thanks for your support and check back soon for more conversations on sustainability and the environment. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.